I'd say like the biggest change is stepping into a leadership position um, and figuring out how to manage personalities. And, you know, I'm constantly thinking about like the creative parts of like, how do we improve our show? And, you know, you build this team around you of publicists mm-hmm. and managers and like stuff that I just didn't have to worry that much about in Lumineers World. And so... Of course, there's the big factor, I mean, just, like, the aesthetics of, like, being yeah. on a tour bus versus being in, I'm back in a van. But, like, we did that style of touring mm-hmm. for a while and, you know, staying in crappy hotels. And I, I draw the line, though, at, like, we're, we're getting hotels. We're not sleeping, on, sleeping, on, we're not sleeping on floors. Yeah. yeah, which I did that, too, in, yeah. the, in the past. And I was like, I'm a little bit too old, I think. So There's, there's something, like, a little romantic in that, right? Yeah. Of, like, of kind of scrapping by mm-hmm. once again. Totally. Absolutely, yeah. It's very nostalgic, I think, for for some really good times with the Lumineers. Mm-hmm. Like, those were a lot of our happiest days, I think, even though we were struggling. But you're, like, in it together, you know? And, like, the more success you get – success is a funny word, but um, – you why, know, just, Why is success a funny word? I think it's just different to everybody. Sure. And, like, seemingly – I think by most people's standards yeah. of success, the Lumineers is a successful, successful band. band. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's very monetary-based and things like that, mm-hmm. but with more – Money and fame and these huge venues and, you know, whatever else, you just – you start to spend more and more time apart. And, like, there were mostly days towards the end of, the, of our tour cycle where, like, I wouldn't see anybody till we were on stage that night. And apart play. from the other members. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and you just kind of, like – we were on the same bus for a lot of it. But even that, you just kind of go in your bunk and you go to sleep and yeah. separate hotel rooms, separate green rooms. Like How much of that is a symptom of being – big and how much of it is a symptom of you get cooped up the same mm-hmm. group of people for too long you're gonna want your alone oh, time oh sure and, and everybody's different yeah. like i think i've discovered how introverted i am um and especially <laughs> recharging as an introvert i've been through that too that, yeah. that conversation of trying to explain to people why i can go on stage totally or in strangers and if i show up at a party and i don't yeah. know anybody I just <laughs> like so in the corner of the room the entire time <laughs> It is a symptom, certainly, of, like, being cooped up. But, like, there, you don't have a choice when you're in a van. Like, you have to spend time together. And when you're, like, you just, you have the option to not really see anybody when you're traveling with all these luxuries. And some of that is so wonderful and important. But it does become pretty, like, isolating and lonely, um, especially, yeah, just the amount of touring we were doing. You know, we did, like, 600 days on the road for the last record cycle between, like, 2016 and 2017. Just basically every day of 2016 and yeah. 2017. Yeah. And so it's just, it's all consuming for sure. Did you get to a point where it stopped being surreal? Yes. Yeah. And, you know, for and me. And got real. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was at the beginning of the real world. Um, right. Stopped being polite and started <laughs> getting real. Yeah, totally. I think for me too, like I, I had never like, I'd never been in a band before. I never even like listened to bands. Like <laughs> growing up, I listened to like musicals yeah. and Barbara Streisand <laughs> and like, I don't know, vocal groups and things like that. But just this world was so unknown to me. I never really had a chance to like reevaluate of like, am I enjoying this? Um, Cause you're just you're swept up in this whirlwind and everyone's telling you like, oh my gosh, you are living the dream. And there were elements of it that were so surreal and amazing and incredible. And like, the places I got to see and travel to and, like, the venues we got to play. I mean, we met Obama. Like, it was so cool and amazing, mm-hmm. and I don't take any of that for granted. But I also was like, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, I think at some point I had to reevaluate, like, what do I want to be doing for the next chapter of my life? And I think that became songwriting and it became singing and it became these things that I didn't really have a place in Lumineers for that. And just personally, like, you know, you're spending 600 days out of two years with these people and in this environment, and it's very taxing. And if you're going to spend that much time away from your family and your friends and your home, 
you have to evaluate, is this worth it for me, just like in my soul and my purpose? It stopped being fulfilling, I think, for me. That was your first band. It was my first band. You, you didn't listen to that kind of music or band music prior to no, that. No, it's so bratty. What compelled you to enter that world? I mean, obviously, you had no idea of yeah, sure. where things would go and how quickly they would happen. Totally. And it was so the circumstance of like where I was in life. I had just graduated college. This is like December of 2010 mm-hmm. um, or 2009. In January of 2010, I met them about two weeks after I graduated. And I graduated with a music ed degree. I was going to yeah. be a teacher. And I like loved choir and orchestra and that kind of thing. And I was a cellist growing up, but studied vocal music in school. Mm-hmm. And um, I sang in like a lot of acapella groups. And <laughs> my nerd is showing. Yeah. Yep, you were um, were glee. I was glee, for sure. Yeah, Yeah, I found my nerds and and felt very embraced by that world. And I had some, and and I would say like my senior year of college, I started to get more into like indie rock, like Death Cab for Cutie and Bright Eyes and and M. Ward. M. Ward was my, I say like my gateway Mm -hmm. (laughs) drug into like mainstream music. And, you know, he's like... I think it was a good bridge of he's like a like, warm really bath. Retro. Just you can just sort of slip <laughs> yeah. into M Ward. Yes, completely. And so, um, and a lot of my friends were in bands. Mm-hmm. I'd go see shows, but I just never really pictured myself being in one, especially as like my main in- instrument being a cello. Yeah. And then I was living with my parents, perusing Craigslist of like anything to get me out of the house: wedding gigs, babysitting gigs, like kind of anything to get me out of the house and someone had placed this ad for a cellist for a folk group and they said like you know we're new to denver we're from brooklyn something along the lines of like hobbyists need not apply like they were very <laughs> that's serious. such a we're from brooklyn and in denver <laughs> right, now like, thing we to put are. on a flyer and i will say like for they were so motivated and like there yeah. was no choice for them. They were yeah. going to make this work and make this happen from, like, day one that I met them. It was, like, not a jam band that you meet in their basement everyone's smoking weed. Like, we met at, like, 9 o'clock in the morning, coffee's on the table, an agenda on a whiteboard. <laughs> like, it was really organized Which is it's, it's funny, like, jam band in the basement <laughs> is such a, like, a, I'm going to join a band in Denver kind mm-hmm. of thing. Totally. There's a lot of that in Denver. Yeah. And they so were not that vibe. And, yeah, I mean, they were, they were just really determined and serious about this. And I think for me, I was like, well... I'm like, don't have a job. And, you know, I'm just like, I'll play some local gigs with you mm-hmm. until I get a teaching job and, you know, be your cello player or whatever and just kind of see where this goes, I guess. And um, so that was January of 2010. By August of that year, I was had started substitute teaching, which was the perfect job to have as a touring mm-hmm. person because you have to sub like 10 days out of the year to keep your license yep. current. And they said, you know, we're going to get in our Ford Windstar and we're going to do 30 days on the road, like kind of winging it like we're self-booking a lot of it we have some friends that are helping out but we didn't have like a booking agent or any of those things we started in colorado and just like went through new mexico and to la all the way back through we came here to new york city and played at the living room on the lower east side Mm -hmm. during that tour and um it was insane. I mean, we were in a Ford Windstar, like, out of our minds, playing in people's basements and coffee shops and, like, house shows, wherever we could get a gig, just to kind of get gas to the next, you know, destination. And they had made a homemade EP, and I'd be in the car, like, burning CDs and, like, hand-stamping them that we'd sell for $5 at these shows. You do get that feeling when you're around people who are really driven, or you're just like, yeah, I'm in this too, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, totally. with you. I'm with you all totally. the way. I started, I, I believed in it so much, because yeah. they believed in it so much, and I... I always admire whatever the project is when you see that. And that's I'm a huge theater fan. I think that's why mm-hmm. most productions, even at like the high school level, everybody's just like believing in what they're yeah. doing in a theater production. And you yeah. have to because it's like a lot of it's so cheesy and whimsical that like if you don't believe in it, the crowd isn't going to believe like in it. It's like Tinkerbell. Yeah. Everybody has to clap. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> 
And so I really, I mean, I, I was on board and I just felt like, you know, this is also 2010, like Mumford and Sons had just kind of come out, Avett Brothers, and like mm-hmm. the folk Americana thing just blew up that year. And it yeah. was like the music industry was primed for a record like ours. Through that gig at the at the living room on the Lower East Side. On your first tour. On our first tour, they offered us a residency for the following March. So we had about six months to kind of figure out what mm-hmm. we were going to do until then. They said, you can play every Tuesday night for the month of March. And so we did another like kind of self-booked West Coast tour. And on that tour, we met this guy named George, like in some somebody's house. <laughs> like he didn't live there, but we stayed up to like six in the morning playing video games with him, like Mario Kart. And he left with one of our EPs. And then a friend of his in Seattle was like venting to him some night at a bar and was like, oh my gosh, my boss, she said she's going to fire me if I don't like bring her new music. He worked at a like management company who wasn't really manage- managing anybody, uh, but they were like trying to find new projects and they had money, but they didn't like, they had no bands that they were excited about. <laughs> like what a problem to have. And so this woman, Kristen Green, was handed this EP, our self-made demo, and was like, who is this band? And she Googles us and like sees a couple YouTube videos, house shows, yeah, her MySpace page, and sees that we have a residency coming up in the living Mm -hmm. room. So she flies out in that March residency and sees us play and basically offers us, like, I'd love to manage you. And in that same time period, I had gotten a phone call from one of the schools where I was subbing in Denver, and they offered me a full-time teaching gig at this middle school for a middle school band position. And I was like, I think I'm going to try this band. Like, I'm going to be in this band, and I'm think I'm going to turn down this teaching job and I know it's crazy but you would have regretted not sure and I was 23 years old like what are you gonna do well not only what are you gonna do but when is that sort of opportunity gonna come again yeah I mean to be fair though like we were still like in a minivan like things weren't going well sure sure yeah I'm just saying (laughs) like early to mid-20s is the time you get to do crazy stuff like that and be in a band yeah and be in New York City and like crashing on your friends Mm -hmm. couches and and I mean Kristen you know she hadn't managed anybody big before and we built a team around us of people kind of like that like a booking agent really young hungry people and then like a really smart lawyer who was very seasoned so <laughs> you're savvy enough to know <laughs> it's just like a lot of things that clicked into place in such a way that it's partly luck i mean just mm-hmm. to be frank but it's partly you know so it's that preparation meets opportunity and like i said the music industry was i think ready for a record like that we got in the studio we made a record uh with 12 songs you know, that was 2012. We put that record out, yeah. April of 2012. And, like, by January of 2013, like, we were at the Grammys. You had one moment. And it's it's funny. I think about this a lot in my life that I maybe can count on one hand those real, like, movie moments, <laughs> you know, when you sort yeah. of, like, make that decision. But it sounds like beyond that, you kind of just had your head down the entire time. You didn't really have a lot of yeah. opportunities to second guess it. Sure. I mean, there were moments for sure. Like, my family had, like, an intervention with me of, like, what are you doing? Like, you have a teaching degree. You got offered a job. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, you're playing in people's basements, so you're playing to, te- you know, 10 people. I also thought, you know, I'm 23, and I hadn't mm-hmm. been in the band for 10 years, and it wasn't working out. Like, this was – I'd been in the band for, like, six months, and we were getting signed to, like, a record label and with a manager. Your family sounds like they're very pragmatic people. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, they are. I mean, my dad was a mailman for 40 years Mm -hmm. and like worked really, really hard so that I could gallivant off and be in a band, you know, and I'm so grateful for that. It sounds like you were enjoying the hell out of it. I was, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it was so much fun and I believed in it and, you know, we were were roughing it. We were Mm -hmm. like making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in the back of the van and... um, So is it the the Grammys or what's the moment when your parents are like, all right, 
Yeah, that's so funny because each person has their own thing. Sure. And it's like whatever enters your bubble. And for them, I think it was uh, – we did Letterman, that's which is, good. you know, a late night show they watch every yeah, night. Yeah. But, like, we were doing so many things before Letterman mm-hmm. that were all signs point to yes. But it's like that with anyone. Even if it's like, I heard you on my local radio station. Sure. You're, like, killing it. Sure. And people always ask us, what was the thing? I mean, it was 150 things happening at once where, like, we said yes to absolutely every opportunity. We all quit our jobs. We didn't have homes. Like, we just were on the road constantly. Was there a point of no return for you? Yeah, things just progressed so quickly. Just sort of death by a thousand cuts. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, I I think, yeah, I mean, things just just snowballed so quickly. And there wasn't really a moment to go like, wait, what are we doing? You know, reevaluate. Again, it sounds like it was a lot of fun for you at first. And then as we started the conversation. (laughs) Spoiler alert, I'm not in the band anymore. (laughs) Yeah. For, you know, myriad reasons, I'm sure. And and obviously we're going to get to this, but, Mm -hmm. you know, your your own project as well. But do you just wake up one morning and you're just like, I just am not (laughs) really digging this anymore? It certainly wasn't a wake up one morning thing. I think it was like a a thousand paper cut sort of situation. You know, I think it's really... Really hard. Touring in general is hard. I mean, anybody who travels for sure. work, it's difficult. So you're like, I'm going to find a harder way to tour. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, it is. It's, it's a lot of pressure that yeah. you put on your relationships and stuff. Mm. And communication is so hard. And there's never a good moment to, like, bring something difficult up to talk about. Um, and frankly, we got a therapist. Like, we got a band therapist. Oh, and that's you did the Metallica thing. We did. I know. Everyone's like, do bands do that? And, like, I think Metallica does. I think more bands actually work with a therapist. How was that? It was the only way we could communicate, honestly. And, like, it was really helpful in, like, providing. A, like, I don't know, a sequitur to like bring things up. You, I mean, you're in a van all day or you're in a bus all day or however you're, you're traveling. There's never a good time to be like, let's have a hard conversation and then we have to sit next to each other. Although, I mean, I'm sure like in a lot of cases, it was a lot of small things that kind of got blown out of proportion because sure. you were in a small space. But yeah. what, what, what's sort of like a hard conversation that you wouldn't want to sit with? So there was something that was happening consistently. We always did something in the middle of the crowd mm-hmm. in our band. And, you know, I understood the... Actually going out going into the Going out into the crowd mm-hmm. and it, like even in... You know, in the very big arenas, we had like a second B stage that we'd walk to. And part of the appeal was like, you're getting out with the people and it's really exciting. And I've seen a lot of other artists do this. It's not the first time anyone's ever done that. Mm -hmm. But multiple times, I just, I always felt really uncomfortable doing it. And multiple times, like I was getting groped and grabbed. Oh, you would have to go out. Yeah. And I just was like, I don't really want to do this anymore. And it was just like a really big part of the show, I guess, and just felt really important. It felt like it was like this show must go on mentality versus like my safety though. And so that was a hard conversation that I just felt like I didn't really have an advocate to be like, yeah, this is messed up. Like you should not have to feel unsafe at your job. I suspect it's probably hard to have a conversation like that when you're surrounded by dudes too, who just like don't, (laughs) like don't, and you're not like a a, a tall woman either. I'm about 5'3". Yeah. Yeah. About a foot shorter than the majority of of the band. And it is, I mean, I have, I have grown so much in asserting myself. Um, And a lot of it was being put in that environment. And also like I was a theater kid. I was like a teacher, a lot of things that were like pretty female dominated, especially teaching. And I hadn't, I mean, I didn't grow up with brothers. I didn't have that experience of like, so blatantly, I am not heard in this room right now. Like I could shout as loud as I want to and no one's going to hear me or take me as seriously as my male counterparts. And that was happening through management, through like venue promoters, you know, all the way. Like I'd walk into a venue and people, you know, the sound guy would introduce himself to my bandmates and like not introduce himself to me or be like, oh, you're in the band. You're not like someone's girlfriend. That happened so consistently. And I talked to other female musicians that are like, oh yeah, that's the standard. Does that also apply when it comes to taking a creative role in the band to being a songwriter or was it just less that you know you maybe weren't kind of part of that like initial aesthetic vision as far as I mean that compl- complicates it yeah. you know and I always try to weigh that of like is it because I'm female 
is it because I'm a cellist? Is it because I'm not the lead singer? Like, I tried to give people the benefit of the doubt, too, of, like, I know they don't want to be sexist, but the fact is, like, they're also treating the keyboard player with more respect or, like, people would laugh at me if I, should like, tried to shake hands with them. They'd be like, oh, okay, great. Like, that was a thing that happened. Just people? Like, people at the venue. Like, say yeah. you're, you're talking to the promoter or the booker or something yeah. like that, and they'd be like, oh, Wes, Jarrett, it is such an honor to meet you guys. And I'd be like, hi, I'm Neela. And they'd say, like... Okay, that's nice. That's interesting, especially since, you know, the cello is a non-traditional instrument in that kind of Mm -hmm. setting. Do you feel like that relegates you to touring musician for a lot of these people? Perhaps, but with the Lumineers, I was a partner in the business. I was in every photo of like yeah no it's just know? it's just interesting you're like oh well well maybe the instrument played a role in that yeah, which is kind yeah. of yeah side player yeah, yeah. And I, I get that but there's just also just like a mutual respect no of course and so yeah it was it, it really you know of course it, it's such like a hot topic right now of you know feminists and yeah. and equality <laughs> Women in the workplace talking about how shitty men are <laughs> yeah. in music yeah. it's a hot topic yeah. and i feel like i you know i was sad to hear all these other women having this experience but i also felt really validated and like oh i'm not crazy like these yeah. things are happening all over the place in every workplace and so i did i mean i would have to fight harder and speak louder for things that like my male counterparts would ask for mm. and and be met with respect and taken seriously. For example, we had like a routing meeting with a with a booking agent and a manager at the time. You know, and I expressed some frustration of like this is too long of a stretch, you know, without going home and also like I had put some dates in the calendar where I didn't I had like a wedding that I already committed mm-hmm. to going to and You were trying to live a life? Yes, trying to yeah. live a life. And um, you know, and just like very regular conversation that didn't need to be upsetting and also things that my, you know, bandmates had asked for, like, oh, I, you know, my mental health is, is being put at risk mm-hmm. by having eight weeks in a row of being on the road. And my manager looked at me, not the manager I currently work with, but that we worked with at the time. He looked at me and said, but think of all the pretty dresses you can buy if you do all these tour dates. Yeah, that's not great. It's insane. It's not great. It's not. <laughs> and so I just, you know, I understand that, too, like, Wessinger had a mission it's almost like they didn't have time to really worry about that. I'm not excusing, not, you know, being my advocate, but I also understand, like, there's a lot on your plate as a leader, and I'm I'm figuring that out, too, as I've... Mo- I've sure. You, know, you needed an intermediary in order to really assert yourself yeah, at the time. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. it just, it always felt hard, like, I just didn't have any advocates to, to help me feel like what I was feeling was validated. Mm-hmm. And so, moving into this new project, like, A, I've made that a real goal. Um, I've hired a lot of women on my team, and just, like... Basically, just a lot of non-straight white dudes <laughs> in my band. <laughs> I know there's good ones. I married one of the best ones. Like, I'm married to a wonderful yeah. straight white dude. How organically did the music come? How organically did writing this album come? It sounds like you were kind of compiling. Yes. It came out of nowhere. It wasn't a plan, like this sneaky plan I had where I was like, I'm going to break off. and I'm, Like, these songs just started pouring out of me. And it was kind of at the same time that Luminaries were making the second record. And... I think I just had a lot of creativity that was ready to come out, but I didn't really have an outlet for it. How involved were you in the songwriting process? Not, Not involved at all. at all. Yeah. And even in the record, like yeah. recording and stuff, like minimal, very, very minimal. And if you listen to the recordings, you don't hear much cello or vocals. The live show, I think, has a little more in it. So you were in and around all of this creativity and production. Yeah. And it, it sounds like there was kind of some runoff. It's funny how creativity strikes. It, it, you never know when you're going to have those moments. That's true. But also, I think just being a 
around it, like it's easy to get inspired by it. In the same way that you're inspired by people's energy when the band sure. first started, watching people, you know, do this, record, write songs, yeah. like that's going to rub off on you. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the songwriting became really cathartic as well. I didn't really know mm. that that was going to be a tool for me. But I think when I got frustrated about things, it was really easy to get those frustrations out by writing songs about it. Writing songs about women murdering rattlesnakes. Yes, you bet. And I I mean, I think, you know, the record on the surface is this biopic of this woman's life. I wrote this sort of like strange concept album covering this Colorado pioneer and and all the strange things she went through that were stranger than fiction and just a story that I thought could be told. But I think the bigger themes of that record were, you know, she was a woman that I think pushed the boundaries of what it meant to be feminine. Mm -hmm. And she was really tough and I think felt very unheard and very misunderstood because she wasn't, you know, this kind of cookie cutter version of what women were expected to be. I mean, does that remind you of anybody? Mm, Somebody. (laughs) Every woman I know. (laughs) Basically, every woman I've ever met. And so um, I was hoping to write a record like to kind of get these feelings out and talk a lot about those subject matters of feeling unheard and feeling kind of stepped on and I was hoping that would also appeal to other folks that have felt marginalized and that it is. It's it's very much this woman-empowering record, I think. That was the intention anyway. You mentioned, um, you know, that you were involved in a lot of musicals growing up. Yeah. I mean, that very much comes across on this That's record. I mean, there's a, there's a few, there's definitely a few <laughs> I was listening to earlier and there's a there's a duet on there, and it's just like, oh, oh, Very yeah, no, this sounds like this sounds like a Broadway <laughs> record. That's part of it too, right? There's kind of like a big there's there's a, a brashness of it. I mean, you're definitely not a background singer on this no. record. You're you're very <laughs> to much the out front. Back of the back of the auditorium. Yeah. I am a musical theater freak. Mm-hmm. I love musicals. And I studied musical theater in college for a couple of my years before I got my my teaching degree. And frankly, I, I thought this story lent itself to being a musical. Yeah. Especially as I researched her life. And it was like so much more than just this rattlesnake attack. I mean, like just crazy bits of information. Like she was struck by lightning. She was married and divorced six times. She was a nurse in World War II. She wrote to this stranger in Iowa. They had this like pen pal relationship for 40 years and never met. Like all these things that I'm just like, why does no one know this story? Were you writing a musical? I was writing a musical. (laughs) I just thought like, I love musicals, but I don't know how to do that. Like, and it's such a big undertaking. And so I knew like, oh, I know how to write. I I feel like I know how to write a record and put that out and Mm -hmm. tour it. Like, that's what I've been doing. And I know how that works. So let's do that. You're halfway to a musical, (laughs) right? Well, we're all the way to a musical. You're all the way to a musical. Uh, So what happened was... The Denver Center Theater Company in Colorado, it's a really great regional theater. Mm-hmm. They workshop a ton of musicals out there that eventually come to New York. They just did Frozen uh, that's on Broadway that they workshopped it in Denver. But uh, it's a great regional theater, and they commissioned me to write this musical. And so I'm working with a great playwright. Her name's Karen Hartman. She's writing the script. Um, but it began life as a song cycle or as a record. It began life as a song cycle record with the intention of touring sort of this extravaganza show that yeah. I was – I believed, though, like, this is going to work – in a lot of different venues. I don't think it has to be for theater people. And especially, I made my record with M. Ward, um, as we discussed earlier about him. And so bringing somebody in that does come from non-theater world and to make, you know, have these really cool guitars on it and the production on it is, like, very warm and, you know, kind of like an indie rock record. But there are these musical theater tunes. Does, does he have, is he sort of capable of that kind of sensibility? I mean, do you feel like he brought some of that to the table as well? Or did he kind of make it in his own image? No, I think it was a really good balance. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think just what appealed to me partly is just sonically the way his records sound. Sure. I just wanted that warm, dreamy feeling. But also, I think he writes a lot of songs that sound throwback and retro, you know, and it, 
obviously my song, my record's full of doo-wop songs and that kind of thing. And I think he's got some of that too. But you wanted it to be something that could exist on its own. And he kind of brought that to the table. Um, I think, yeah, but... Uh, Outside of the musical, that it yeah. could just be a record. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and if I it would... was just a selection of musical songs. Totally. And and towing that line the whole time. Yeah. And there's actually a song, there were a couple songs that I felt like these are only for a musical. Okay. And, and what's cool in musical world, like when you're writing for a musical, you're not worrying about like interludes or like, you're not worrying about like guitar solos or featuring the piano or the, like it's all about the story and the plot and the characterization. And you can be as cheesy as you want and as whimsical as you want. Whereas on a record, yeah. you have to kind of rein that in a little bit. And it is more about like the form of the song and the choruses and the hooks and that kind of thing. So it's writing, it's different, different writing for sure. What I can say is I, I wrote this record hoping that it could kind of live in somewhere in between. Yeah. A song like Train, uh, certainly theatrical, but I think it could exist on its own. With a very theatrical music music video to match. Yes, indeed. Does that mean that the songs are tailored to characters, to people in the musical, or do you kind of have to work backwards? We have to work backwards a little bit, yeah. yeah. And especially in terms of, of the writing portion, because in a song, you kind of have this complete thought. Like, there's a song on the record called The Attack. It's about the rattlesnake encounter, where she killed 140 rattlesnakes mm-hmm. and lived to tell the tale. I'm sure that the number went up every time she told the story. <laughs> sure, exactly. But, you know, at the end, the very last verse is Rattlesnake Kate, alive and well. You kind of reveal, like, she made it through. And sometimes you don't want that point of action to be happening in the show and so we had to kind of frankenstein a few of these songs plus they're written from various perspectives and they're also written like a person reflecting on it whereas you want things in the moment so we had to change a lot of the tenses and what we've done with the musical we did a workshop of it in denver in february and so we had what we've done is kate is played by three different actors um kind of teenage early 20s kate 30s to 40s kate and then like 50s and beyond kate which is so neat and then i'm for this iteration was in it kind of as this narrator Mm -hmm. figure this sort of conjurer of the story and i think what brings it into the contemporary world of like why are we telling this story about this woman from 100 years ago and then we had two other actors one kind of is this various he plays kind of like her dad and her love interests that she kept the the correspondence Mm -hmm. with and some of this husband these sort of like you know, many hats. When you say that you're bringing in that contemporary version, I mean, is it actually channeled through you as a person outside of the musical? Yeah, we we sort of have a... And we're, what's cool about this workshop process yeah. is you like, you try some things out and see if they work. And, you know, what I'm doing right now on tour is this like live production with a band mm-hmm. with some storytelling, some light costuming. But, you know, like we played at Joe's Pub last night, which is a great place for something. Yeah, which is, it's, yeah. I mean, it's right next to the public theater. It's totally, like, yeah. totally. But we've also played like dive bars. <laughs> like, D- Does this feel like a, a kind of workshopping? Um, or is it just an entirely different It's beast? a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's certain things. And last night was um, we did a special treat because some of the women that were in the workshop live here in New York. And so I brought two of them out and we performed a song that's not on the record that was written mm-hmm. specifically for the musical. And like you can do that in New York, I think. And also we just like, I think the next workshop for this will probably yeah. be in New York. And so you want to just kind of create that conversation about it. But it, it is a little bit of different beasts. And, and we're figuring that out because um, it, it you sometimes it's confusing if you're trying to like toe the line and some part of me is like should we just fully commit and say like this is a concept album this is a musical this is a folk opera like all those words are polarizing but I'm like 
okay with that. I think I yeah. would like, I don't really want to have a vanilla project that appeals to the masses. Like, I think I want people who are going to be into it that like are really into it, even if that's smaller numbers. You're in such a place of prominence and, and the band is in such a place of prominence that when it was formally announced that you were leaving the band, like there was a press release issued. Sure. That was covered as a news story by a lot of outlets. Reading through like the Twitter mentions and everything, like you, you might have ruined a couple of people's mornings. I frame it that way as a, as a way of saying like, it sounds like you've got a lot of people who are rooting for you on this. Yeah, which is like so lovely, but a surprise also. I think I I prepared myself for a lot of backlash of like, are you insane? Yeah, and I get that reaction. And people you, have you were worried that maybe this like sort of this treatment that you were getting might have trickled down to the fan base. Yeah, or like I don't want people to feel like. I was ungrateful yeah. for that opportunity because I, I can't stress that enough that I understand what I walked away from and I understand like that's a lot of people's dreams, but it's also not my dream. I feel really lucky to have to have helped with, you know, this it's good for anybody to kind of be part of something that's bigger yeah. than ourselves. And um, if I was like a small player in that, that's great. It will help you for a while. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. And I, I totally acknowledge that it opened some doors for me. But I also think, like, I spent almost a decade in it, which is a lot of time to give mm-hmm. to something that you – it's good to reevaluate and say, like, am I still happy doing this? And I wasn't happy. For, I don't think most people have been <laughs> yeah. in a job for a decade. Like, yeah. it sounds like on the outside looking at, at, you know, somebody being in a band for that long, it sounds like a relatively short amount of time. But sure. Yeah. And who, it's only two records. a job for 10 years <laughs> these right. days? Totally. It's, the, it's a gig economy. It is. It is. Absolutely. And so um, – I actually, yeah, it's been so lovely to feel a lot of support from the fan base. And I think what I hear over and over is like, I will miss you, you know, from the band. But I think people acknowledge like, I wasn't really singing on any records. I wasn't even really playing much cello on the records. And at some point, you're kind of like, why is she in that band? You definitely asked that question. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely asked that question to myself and, and to others and, um, you know, feeling almost decorative at times. Yeah, this wasn't something you could have just pursued on the side. No, and that was something I considered for sure. Partly, like, as I started to shop the record around to labels, they were like, well, when are you going to have time, though, to give to this? Yeah. And, you know, I also wanted to be really just respectful of the Lumineers and, um, you know, not feel like it was it was made pretty clear early on like they weren't looking to like promote my record and that's yeah. not their prerogative that they would have taken precedence over anything you would have yeah done for sure and I mean management wise too they said like well as long as you know where your priorities are and like I don't <laughs> I don't think I wanted that to be my priority yeah. anymore I feel delighted that you know the the support was there from from a lot of what I you know I tried to kind of stay off the internet <laughs> quite a bit when I when we put the press release out because it's just hard and but I thought there'd be more backlash and just yeah. people like feeling like oh what are you what are you doing and nobody knows the ins and outs of like what your every day of 600 days in a row look like mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so yeah I just I feel like really happy that we parted ways and and I think everybody's doing better I, I know that I became kind of an energy that was probably hard to be around because I wasn't super happy you can't help that if you're in a bad place like everybody around you ends up yeah. being in a bad place so I uh, so you said you know that the band was somebody else's dream that it wasn't your dream mm-hmm. so what is your dream is it the musical is it the band is it the record I'm figuring all that out. It, it definitely it, was a musical. Okay. I, I mean, uh, does, does one feel like a means to an end t- to the other? I'm kind of figuring that out. Like, I have never written songs, like, seriously before this, where like, I wasn't confident enough to share any songs that I'd written with anybody mm-hmm. before this. And I've really found out, like, I'm a songwriter. And even, you know, in our workshop experience where we 
I wrote like four new songs on the fly and like I'm changing lyrics and like that's all coming so naturally that I just didn't know before. Um, So that's really exciting. And so I foresee like I'd love to pursue this musical thing. I'd love to probably pursue other musical writing, but I also like to put out more records and like I've got more songs brewing. And like I said, it's become such a cathartic thing for me that when I'm processing, I often journal and those often become songs. You know, even if it's not super literal, I think it's just like a it's become such a good way for me to process feelings. I suspect that after having done the same thing for so long, it probably feels good to to be pursuing multiple things at the same time. Yeah. And um, there's certainly challenges that I didn't have before. It's like I was worried about different things. I'm always like in the same amount of turmoil, <laughs> just like worrying about various things. And Just generally as a person? I mean, I it, think so. you just like vibrate at a certain frequency? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I get that. Whether it's like, oh, my mom's being annoying <laughs> on <Yeah>. Facebook <laughs> or it's like I'm feeling unheard in this group of people or whatever it is. And but I think you've gotten better. I mean, you've gotten better at vocalizing and expressing yes. that. And that, that's a huge difference. I mean, and it was a lot of therapy to get there. And I like the more I talk to other women, yeah. it is so hard to advocate for yourself. And so I just I'm so much better at even advocating for other people around me than I am for myself. And I, I think honestly, I think like being an introvert plays a role in that. I tend to process things by dealing with them myself. Yeah, you know, totally. And not asking for help. Totally. And my husband's the same way. Yeah. We talk a lot about that. And I don't really think it's gendered, but I do think it's like a – he has like a lot of conversations in his head before they've happened. And I do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And there's other people that there's just like no filter. They yeah. say whatever was on their mind and there's probably a better balance. Or walking down the street and relitigating something you said 15 years oh, ago at a party. Absolutely. Story of my life. Yeah. Where did he land on all this? I mean it sounds like he's been oh, pretty supportive. Yeah. My bright beacon of light. Uh-huh. I met Jeff – when I was a kid, we were in a youth symphony together, the Colorado Youth Symphony Orchestra. That's very cute. He was my stand partner. Mm-hmm. He grew up playing cello as well. And uh, it was like a thing that met outside of school. So we weren't super close. We'd mm-hmm. meet on Monday nights. It was for like real orchestra nerds that like went outside of school to sure. like, get extra orchestra. But there were some crushes. <laughs> there were definitely yeah, crushes flying yeah, around that youth group. Definitely. Yeah. I'd come home every week and like tell my sister how cute my stand partner was. And so we both did it from like kind of mid middle school, like probably seventh grade to like mid high school, 11th grade or something like that. And then both went off to college and like didn't see each other for many years and weren't close enough to really like keep in touch or anything. Um, And then about five years ago, a friend of mine that I went to college with and he went to high school with invited us both out, not knowing we knew each other. She was in town. She lives in LA Mm -hmm. now, but was back in Denver and invited us both out. And I was like, how do you know my middle school crush from yeah. cello club? And uh, anyway, he remembered me. I remembered him. We went on a date to a shovels and rope show the next day. And then I went on tour for like six weeks to South America and South Africa. And like, <laughs> Oh, it's so impossible <laughs> it's to try impossible. to start a relationship when you're – oh, no, for sure. Yeah. And the good news was, I mean, those were the last two tours of our first record cycle. And then I had all this downtime yeah. at home to get to know each other. He's a person that like – I don't know a ton of people in my life that are not self-absorbed. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. part of the nature of being in the industry, I think. And he just has zero desire to do what I'm doing. He works in, like, medical IT work, basically. Uh-huh. <laughs> he works, like, a very regular 9 to 5 in a yeah. hospital, like, in a clinic. And um, loves it. He's really good at it. And he's so supportive and grounded and, like, just exactly what I needed in a partner to ground me a little bit. And he's just a very logical person. Like, I just, um, you know, going through I'm – a, I'm a very dramatic person. Uh-huh. And I try – I think he keeps that. keeps that in check a yeah. little bit, you know? He's – he's. I mean, would you say – so you would say he's pragmatic then? He's pragmatic for sure and just, like, very – 
just calm. So when, but when you come to him and you say like this thing that I've had success with, I'm thinking of doing something Mm -hmm. on the face of it kind of crazy, like just, you know, leaving and and pursuing my own thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was incredibly supportive. And I think for him, he gets the the full brunt of like when I'm struggling with something and also watching. Yeah, yeah, certainly I'm always confiding in him, but you know, when you see your partner away also for that amount of time yeah. and they're not happy what they're doing. Like right now, I've been away for almost three weeks and of course we miss each other, but like I'm having so much fun yeah. thriving that he's like, I love that, they, like, you know, he's happy for me. Whereas before I just felt like he also knew I had to make a change because I was so miserable for a long period of time. And you won't like, I think at some point he was like, he probably wanted to hear me complain about something else. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, he's incredibly supportive and, you know, I, I, don't I think it would be really hard to have a partner who wasn't going through a lot of this and um, and I have been you know in previous Lumineers years with with other with other people that weren't as supportive and I felt a lot of guilt especially in the early days yeah. um, you know of like all these amazing things are happening and you know what's going to happen with my friendships and my relationships and I was you know dating someone in a band at that time too and it just felt very like apologetic I totally get that but you, you know it's it's probably unhealthy to feel guilty about success. Sure. It's certainly unhealthy. Yeah. It's like definitely I've, – I've thought a lot about that and I still – I continue to feel some guilt about it. But at this point in your career when you're really not only just doing everything yourself but you're the person out there, it's your name on the record. The, if the record sucks or people don't go to the shows, mm-hmm. like it, it, it's on you. But if it's successful, I mean, have, have, you, have you gotten better about being able to accept that it's deserved? Yeah, and especially because I feel like there's so much more of my identity in this project. Like, with Lumineers, it also just felt like, I'm along for this ride. Do I deserve this? Like, did I deserve to be here? You know, I'm not really on the records. Can't really... It's hard to feel like I contribute. I worked really hard to be on tour and play those shows, and I gave my all when we when we performed live, and I did all the promo and you that were playing kind of thing. someone else's songs. Yeah, but playing yeah. someone else's songs and, and kind of feeling like, yeah, do, do I deserve this? You must not <laughs> grapple with that in the same way anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I I do feel really proud of like, I'm a really seasoned musician and tourer, a touring person, you know, and especially as I start to tour with other people, understanding like, oh, I have a lot of experience and I like, that's really exciting to me to feel like you know what you're doing. But yeah, I think it is, it's a funny thing to to grapple with. Do you foresee yourself continuing to, to tour to perform this way for the foreseeable future? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely just the nature of a, of being a professional musician. Yeah. You have to be on the road. I do think I'm figuring that out a little bit, and we're figuring out the show a little bit. This is our very first tour yeah. that we've done. Like, I did an opening tour for Devachka in January when my record came out, and then this is our first kind of headline shot at touring. And, um, yeah, it's all gathering data, you know, and understanding what's working and what's not working. And what's exciting to me, though, is every show, like, the people are – they have this, like, what are we watching – feeling about them and i think people walk away being like very entertained and whether it's like you're not you know musical theater is not for you i think it's like a interesting story and it's performed well with great musicians on stage and you do you walk away like i was entertained (laughs) so that's kind of what i'm going for now at least so far so good yeah so far so good we had an amazing show at joe's pub last night just so receptive and just really grateful for the people that are open-minded to coming to something like this 
Really fantastic conversation with Nayla Pekarek. Thank you so much to her for taking the time to do that. Her new record, Rattlesnake, is out now. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, there are a number of ways to support us. You can rate interviews on iTunes or on Google Podcasts and Spotify now. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Tumblr. That's rwellcast.tumblr.com. If you have any feedback, it's rwellcast at gmail.com. And that's about all we got for this week. So stick around because we're going to be back in another week with another episode of RIYL.